talk with you about a topic I titled, Not on My Watch. Would you open your Bibles to Genesis, the 14th chapter? We're going to camp out there. As you know, we're living in a culture war. And the crazy thing is, it's not just a culture war that this century or this generation or this decade has experienced. It's been like that since the beginning of time. In fact, in Paul's day, when he wrote to Timothy, he told Timothy about signs of people's behavior when they've been poisoned by the culture war. Paul, in a, just a span of seven verses in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 7, he lists 21 signs of a heart that's been poisoned by the culture war. Let me throw out just six of them. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, without self-control. And the sixth one, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In order to ensure that we don't get contaminated and become victims of the culture war, there has to be some type of militancy inside of your heart that says, not on my watch. I'm going to live my life before God in such purity and such alignment to His will that my life will be salt and light to the world around me. So I'm helping to extend the kingdom of God and the character of the kingdom. So I'm able to say, not on my watch. That phrase, not on my watch, it wasn't a military phrase at first. It originated in the nautical world. Ships and workers on the ships as they're sailing the seas. They would break up the day and night into what's referred to as watches. And so, or shifts. And if a particular officer on the ship, when he had a watch, whether it may be a block of four hours or eight hours, was his watch. If anything happened during his watch that were negative, not too good, even if he was not the contributor of it, he would be written up because he allowed something to happen on his watch. We have to have that same mindset. You have to have that same mindset in regards to your life and what it means to walk in biblical integrity before God so you can be able to say, not on my watch. Military people have started to use that phrase. And I don't know if you ever watched the movie, A Few Good Men. I like the movie. There were two Marines that were accused of a crime, of murder. And the army, they appointed three attorneys to represent them. And then this, there's this part of the movie where one attorney was speaking to the other because the question was put to Lieutenant Joanne Galloway, played by Demi Moore. Why do you love those guys so much, the two Marines that were, that, that were charged with a crime? Listen to her response. Why do you like them so much? Because they stand on a wall. And they say, nothing's going to hurt you tonight. Not on my watch. 
That's what you have to be willing to say. In regards to your family, their devotion before the Lord, your kids, their future. Would you say with me, please, this phrase, not on my watch. I bring you now to, to Genesis chapter 14. Let me set it up. Abram, whose name was changed later by God to Abraham, some news came to him that his nephew Lot, who had been living in the city of Sodom, when a war broke out between five kings and four, Lot was in the, in the city of Sodom among the five kings and their army, the five kings were being defeated by the four kings and their armies. And so not only were they being defeated, the five kings, and particularly the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, their people were kidnapped. Lot was among them. News came to Abram. Your nephew Lot was kidnapped. Abram said to his 318 men that were born in his household that he trained to fight, he said, let's go. They went after the four kings and their armies and defeated them. And so they're coming back home now with Lot. They rescued him and the other people that were kidnapped. They bring back all the spoils of war. Let's pick up the story at verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating Kedor Alamur and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheve, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal. So you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre. Let them have their share. Let's go and delve into the text because there's a lot of stuff happening here that's pretty fascinating. I love the fact that Abram, in essence, said by his actions, not on my watch. Even though his nephew Lot was living in the Sodom and Sodom in the city of Sodom, a very wretched city, and he had become a victim of being kidnapped, Abram says, not on my watch, and he goes and he rescues Lot. But there's something fueling Abram's courage and makeup and perspective that gives him that kind of backing. There was this, as if he was so sold out to God. When he comes back from war with all the spoils, all the goods, all the people, Scripture says he gives to Melchizedek a tenth of everything. And so I ask myself, why did Abram give a tenth to Melchizedek? And I answer, it was in his heart. No one forced Abram to give 
or a tithe of what he gained to Melchizedek. And if you're familiar with the Scripture, the Scripture references Melchizedek just a handful of time, times. And they say Melchizedek, as we see here in Genesis 14, the king of Salem. The word Salem represents peace, king of peace. He's also the priest of God, most high. Theologians refer to Melchizedek as a Christophany. Fancy $10 word. It means an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament in bodily form. So in other words, Melchizedek just showed up. No beginning, no end. He just showed up. And so here we see, though, and I'm not going to go down that trail to unpack all of that, but what I will say is this. What I'm so, I'm so elated over is the fact that Abram, no one forced him, no one coerced him. No one gave him this hand-to-mouth instruction, parsing out as to why. They had no, no scripture was written at that time. Ten commandments had never been given. Old Testament was never written. Moses was, was not born as of yet. And it was in Abram's heart to give to God 10% of what he gained even in battle. That's pretty powerful. That's called a tithe. Say with me, please, the word tithe. That's a Bible phrase, and it means 10%. So it's saying then, everything that you earn, that you gain, give God 10% of it. God says, I want to use that for my purpose. And so if I look at verse 20, the scripture says, and we praise God most high. This is what Melchizedek was saying. Who has helped you, speaking to Abram, to defeat your enemies. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything he had brought back from the battle. By right, Abram had all the stuff. I love what you know, New York State Senator said in 1831 where the phrase was coined, William, R., William L. Marcy, he said, to the victor belong, belongs the spoil. Abram was the victor of the war. Every single thing belonged to him. I want you to get the perspective of what Abram is saying and what the, scripture, what the Scripture is saying. Imagine if you went and fought against everybody living in Rockaway Township and you won. Everybody's stuff becomes yours. That's a lot of stuff. You ever go into the hill areas, the mountainous areas? You see some of those big homes and and it's decked out, boats in the driveway? Your stuff. All the cars in the garage? Your stuff. When you go through the house, all the stuff, jewelry? Your stuff. And then what Abram does, which is so moving in his heart, as he's marching back from war, the villages come out, the kings come out to greet him. Melchizedek comes out to greet him. And it was in his heart all along, let me give to God 10%, the tithe, because it's in my heart. Tithing is not about money. It has never been about money. It's about the heart. What is our financial obligation towards God? I don't know if you ever asked yourself that question. 
I mean, when I was a boy, and there were four of us Ireland kids, my mom and dad would send us to the neighborhood church. And they would go on big days like Easter and Christmas. And before they sent us, they would give us money. Sometimes a $5 bill, sometimes a dollar bill. And they say, okay, when the offering plates passed around, put that in the offering. I don't know if you've ever been to churches where you have those wooden offering plates. They're not too deep. It's just very shallow surfacing. So they're not expecting a lot. So they just, you know, they have that little offering plate. And so I'm sitting there, and then I must have been eight years old, maybe 10 years old. And the offering plate comes around. I go into my pocket. I pull out that $5 bill or that $1 bill, and I put it in the offering, and it continues going. I was never taught what the Bible says was my responsibility towards God. I had no idea that I even had a financial responsibility. I had no idea that the Bible instructs me as to what God expects of me in regards to my financial involvement with His kingdom. I had no idea. When I became a Christian at age 20, about maybe two months into my conversion experience, one Sunday, the pastor taught about tithing. I'd never even heard the word before. I was 20 years old at the time. I was a grad student doing my master's in environmental engineering. I'd never heard the word. And then he unpacked it, explained it, showed us in Scripture what the Bible teaches about tithing, giving God 10%. If you earn $1,000 a week, 10% of that is 100. If you earn a million dollars a week, 10% of that is 100,000. He said, that belongs to God. And so I was a student, earning nothing. So I just smiled. <laughs> I have no financial obligation. I'm a student. I have, not, I have no income. I'm just, you know, <laughs> you know you're, I'm taking out student loans to pay for my tuition and room and board and all that stuff, books, and I have no income. On my campus, someone said to me, David, there's this scholarship that you should apply for. I heard about it. I said, what's the scholarship? If you get the scholarship, they'll pay 100% of your tuition. They'll pay 100% of your dorm cost. And they'll give you a monthly stipend of $550 to cover cost of books, food, pocket money. Why don't you apply for it? So I filled out the applications. I'm so eager. I applied for it. About a month later, got the letter. You've been awarded this scholarship. So I mean, I was so excited. And then I remember when the first check came, and you got to understand, I'm 20 years old. I get a check for $550. That check looked like $5 million to me. And so I'm looking at this check and and I go to the bank to deposit it, and then as I'm there depositing the check, I remembered all of a sudden what the pastor taught about. He said, give 10% of your income to God. Now, I had a problem. I didn't have a problem before. I was fine before. Now I'm faced with this problem. The problem is... God says, 10% is mine. If you want to live for me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, 
all your strength, walk in obedience. If you want to live for yourself, do your own thing. I was struck. And so I was so thankful that I wrote up that check, $55. You should have seen me that Sunday morning when that offering basket, they didn't use a wooden plate, they had one of those big baskets. And so the church is about 300 people, and as the basket's passing by, I was so excited. I remember pulling out that check out of my pocket like it was a million dollars, and I dropped it in, and I smiled because I had it in my heart. And I recognized what God was calling me to do. What do you say to yourself to disobey God's commands? Well, what, 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 what lies are you believing? The cynics? You know, the cynic says, don't give to that church. They're hypocrites. Let me tell you, there are 500,000 churches in America. Not all of them are hypocrites. A small percentage. And as you get incensed about hypocrites, and Jesus is even more livid about hypocrites. Have you ever read what Jesus thinks about hypocrites? People that misrepresent him and manipulate people and mess with their faith. In Mark 9 verse 42, the scripture says, Jesus is speaking, he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. I mean, Jesus, he's not playing. He's saying, look, if you mess over my people by twisting Scripture or manipulating people and taking their money to do things that are not reflective of the kingdom— let me tell you, you're better off if you had a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea. Have you ever seen what a millstone looks like? These are two millstones that were dug up archaeologically in Israel. You know how much a millstone weighs? And there's a various amount of weight because of the type of stone. A millstone is used to grind grain. A millstone, some that were made of quartz or brought, you know, excavated from quartz type of stone. Every stone has a different density in terms of material. It's about 1,700 pounds, almost a ton. Jesus says, you'll be better off if I hung a ton of a millstone around your neck and threw you in the sea than if you messed with one of my children because you misrepresented me in your character and your twisting of Scripture and your financial shenanigans. Jesus says, you're better off if that happened to you. So if you think that you get angry about people that are hypocrites, You've not seen what Jesus, how he feels. He gets fired up. See, but tithing's not about money. And if you hide behind that excuse, come on, come from behind it. It's not about money. It's about the heart. I love what John D. Rockefeller Sr. said. I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I've ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was a dollar and 50 cents per week. It's not about money. It's not about money. It's about your heart. Abram rejoiced 
and gave 10% of all the stuff to Melchizedek. No equivocating, no struggle. It was, why? It was in his heart. See, to serve effectively on your watch, there must be an authentic Christian experience that you live out. And you don't pick and choose what you live out from sacred scripture. You do all of what God's called you to do. And when you do that, you can be able to say, not on my watch. How was Abram able to do all this stuff? Why? God always comes first. I mean, it's amazing. This thing of God always comes first. Did, did you know that money has a voice? Money speaks. Did you know that? Money, money it, it, it says what you believe. And when Abram gave the tenth to Melchizedek, what he was saying was a bold statement. He was saying, God comes first. So he gave a tithe, 10%, before he settled things with his allies. He gave right off the top, 10%. Proverbs 3 verse 9 tells us, Honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first and best part of all your income, then your barns will be full, and your vats will overflow with fresh wine. Now, we don't live in an agrarian society as these individuals did when Solomon wrote that. We, we, you know, most of us here, we don't have barns, we don't have vats. We have savings accounts, we have checking accounts, we have a 401k. <laughs> we have those types of coffers to hold our income. And so the scripture says, give to God first. I mean, it's amazing when you do that. I asked him of the men, I said, who's first in your life? He said, oh, my wife's first, man. My wife's first. And then I just stop and just watch them for a moment. They walk into the car. And so he jumps in on, right on the driver's side. He said, get in. And there was a time when he used to, you know, walk around and then open the door for her and then say, go and make sure she's in. Now, he says, oh, she's first. She's number one in my life. And now, and then she gets in. And then as he's driving off, she said, honey, my coat's still hanging outside. He's, and he keeps going. He says, close the door, drag your coat in. We're going for it. But she's first. <laughs> you know I'm telling the truth. Sometimes we have to make hard decisions as to who's first. Brothers, you step right into the electronics store. You're there to buy a big television, flat screen, high definition, the highest one. The salesperson shows you this huge TV. I mean, this thing's big. And the, the picture is so bright, so sharp, that when you're watching basketball, you can just see yourself. Now, there are two TVs there in front of you. The one on the left, huge, bright, clarity, wonderful, high def, makes you feel like you're part of the game. One on the right, it's good, but you feel like a spectator. Now, 
The one on the left, when you're watching, you can just see my, if I'm living my, in my living room and LeBron is playing and then he goes like this to pass it, I just hope, can't put my hands out because I feel like I'm on the court right next to him. I go like this. And, you know, and then the other one, when he passes it, I just watch because you know, I know that I'm not in the game. And so the first one, the price tag is $1,500. Second option there, it's 500 bucks. And so you're now, you're standing in front of that, uh, those two TV sets and you're faced with an issue. If I want to play with LeBron, I can't tithe. If I want to just watch LeBron, I can tithe. You got a problem. You have to make a decision. Now, since I'm not sexist, ladies, you step into the mall. And there in front of the window, two dresses. One on the left, 500 bucks. One on the right, 150 and the sale sign next to it. Now the one on the left, you see yourself, when you, when you put that thing on, it makes you feel like you're a runway model in Paris. The one on the right makes you feel like you just come from the Rockaway Mall. <laughs> and you're, you're faced with a situation. Left, Paris. Right, Rockaway Township. What are you going to do? Because if you go with the left and you walk like you're in Paris, you're not able to tithe. Go on the right, walk like you're in Rockaway, you can tithe. You got a problem now. Which one are you going to choose? See, the issue is put God first. I love what Martin Luther, the great German scholar, said. People go through three conversions. Their head, their heart, and their pocketbook. Unfortunately, not all at the same time. See, if God is first in your financial life, then you got to really make Him first. And, and, and you got to put away the excuses and don't pick and choose what part of the Bible you believe. you got to pick and choose and say, God, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to put you first. I'm going to right the ship. Leviticus 27 verse 30 instructs us, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. In other words... Holy means set apart, separated, for a specific purpose. So to tithe 10% of whatever you earn. And if you earn $10 million a week, your tithe is $1 million. If you earn a dollar a week, your tithe is $0.10. Cents. It's so fair. Oh, it's not fair. I gave a million. Oh, it is fair. It's, it's, it's proportional giving. Both are holy. Both are separated unto the Lord. And so the tithe has a voice. It's a loud voice. It says, God, I put you first in my financial life. The tithe says, I recognize and I value who you are. When Abram gave his tenth to Melchizedek, he was saying, God, thank you for sparing my life when I went to war. God, I recognize how, how in the world could me and 318 guys defeat an army of four kings? How could we do that, a, an allied force of four kings? God, the only way we could have been so victorious 
us is that you're in the battle helping us fight and be victorious. There's no way we could be able to come back as champions. There's no way we could have survived that. And I want you to understand, there's so many things that God spared you from and God rescued you from. And if you're like me, I've done a lot of dumb things and God rescued me even from my own dumb actions. Anybody else there like that, that God's rescued? We're all been rescued from the Lord at one point or another. And I just want to remind you that if God has shown himself so wonderful to you, why not honor him first in your life? In John 8, verse 20, Jesus said this, He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Jesus is saying, look, I have always do those things that please the Father, and as a result, the Father has never left me. I can't say honestly that I've always done things or will always do things that pleases the Father. But what I can say is that since I gave my life to Jesus at age 20, and I'm now age 57, there's not a day that I've missed giving God my tithe. And I'm not putting myself on any pedestal. I just know where I've come from. I know my heart and the, the full, the, the, you know, I, was, I was filled with sin and, and my atheistic worldview. And when Jesus saved me, I was so grateful and I've labored since that day. He said, God, help me to live a life that pleases you. And that's still my heart. And I know that at times when you've been an adult for a period of time, you've lived your own financial life. Thankfully, I, when I came to faith in Christ, I was just 20. So, you know, no real income stream except for what I just told you. And then when I did get my job, I, it was not a big deal because you already got my heart. But for others, when you, you have come to faith in Christ and you're making money and you're spending money in, in loose ways and you may have created all kinds of financial actions that were not the best. And now you're, you're hearing this message. The Bible teaches that if you're going to be financially responsible to God, you can't be episodic and say, give God five bucks here, give him a $20 here, give him a 50 spot here, and give him however you'd like to give him. No, that's not how God rolls. That's not what the Bible requires. That's not what God calls us to do. And so when you're hearing that, you're saying, God, how do I, how do I rearrange my financial life to honor you with 10% of my income. And if that's your question, one of the things that we've done as a local church to help people bring order to their financial life is to provide workshop classes with instructors who that's their primary gift to help you know how to bring management budgeting and discipline to your financial life. And that's why we're offering that course freed up. And if that's you, don't let pride hinder you. Go and sign up and say, I'm going to be there. Because many of us have never had financial training in our lives whatsoever. When my children were small, I remember my youngest, Jessica. She was about six years old. I'd just given her allowance. I don't remember. I think it was maybe three bucks. She said, Daddy, let's go to Baskin Robbins. 
It's a sure, sweetheart. Jump in the car, and we get in the car, and we drive to Baskin Robbins, and we're standing in line, and she's just learned how to read, and she's looking up at the, at, at, at the sign, and she's reading options. And she sees something that catches her eye. She says, Daddy, I want that. And I said, sweetheart, look to the right of that. <laughs> what does it say it costs? She says, Dad, that costs $5. I said, how much money do you have? She said, I have $3. I said, well, how are you going to buy that? She said, you're going to give it to me, the difference. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not. Right there, I'm standing in line, having this little discourse with my six-year-old. You should have seen the mean stares I got from people. I mean, the people in front of me, they turned around, looked at me. They were, they were assaulting me with their eyes. The people in back of her, they were looking at me and they were assaulting me. I could just feel it. I mean, they were like daggers, this mean father. You know, I'll give the kid the two bucks just to, you know, and, and you can just feel it. And I, and I felt it. And then I, as I'm, I'm there, I'm trying to, it's like, man, I just wanted to just slither away. And then I remember saying to her, I said, honey, if you're going to learn how to be responsible financially and live within your means, you have to learn how to handle money. I saw all those eyes suck back into the eye sockets as if I wished that my dad would have taught me that. See, the issue is that you got to put God first. And there's certain financial benefits and benchmarks that we must put in place if we're going to be effective in the area of being able to say, not on my watch. I, I don't want to be a lukewarm believer. I don't want to be someone that's, I'm 80% walking around with God, but 20% I got stuff over here. I don't want to be that. I want to be like Abram who can be able to say, I'm all in. I'm 100% in. I'm sold out. I'm deeply committed. I'm, I'm, I'm someone that's on fire for God. And nothing that God asks of me is too much for me to give to him. Nothing. That's what I want to be my testimony. So to serve on your watch... You must be able to say it was in my heart. God always comes first. And finally, you must be able to say, money doesn't own me. If I look at verse 22 of Genesis 14, here's what the scripture says. Abram answered. This is to the king of Sodom now. He says, I solemnly solemnly swear before the Lord, the most high God, maker of heaven and earth, that I will not keep anything of yours. Not even a thread or a sandal strap. Then you can never say, I'm the one who made Abram rich. I will take nothing for, for myself. I will accept only what my men have used, but let my allies, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre, take their share. Did you, did you get the picture? I mean, remember, remember now what I mentioned. If you defeated all of the residents here in Rockaway Township and got all their stuff, and literally all their stuff is yours, and the mayor comes and says, hey, give me the, give me the people and you can keep the stuff. And you said, no, no, no. I, 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 I don't want you to say that you made me rich. Take the people and take the stuff. That's pretty powerful. Abram was making a bold statement. He was saying, money doesn't own me. I have the freedom internally that I'm not going to be able to operate because of money. I'm not going to make decisions that are just, quote-unquote, driven by money. And some people say, ah, oh, people that have money can say that. Let me tell you what Oprah said. 
Oprah chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> Oprah Winfrey said, I've always had a great relationship with money, even when I barely had any to relate to. I never fear not having it and never obsessed about what I had. See, what we're seeing is that she and so many that have a big heart and a philanthropic, it was never driven by what they have today. They always had that. What they've recognized, like Abram, is that he was not a slave to money. Let me give you a pop quiz. Pop quiz. Pop quiz. You ready? Some of you, you don't like this message? Do you want me to preach something that makes you happy? Or do you want me to preach something that's theological? I mean, see, my job, the worst thing I can do is to placate to selfishness of a heart and not teach you all of biblical Christianity. And I'm not going to go that way. Because I've said in my heart, not on my watch. I'm not going to create a lukewarm, mediocre church, congregants that are half-stepping in their walk with the Lord. I want to empower you so you can live all of what the Scripture teaches. And, and some people won't like that. I get it. But those people won't do anything for God anyway, so forget them. There's signs of when a person's a slave to money. Let me tell you some of the signs. You may say, oh, no way, I'm not a slave to money. When a person's a slave to money, they're constantly living beyond their means. If they make $70,000 a year, they live like they make $80,000. If they make $300,000 a year, they live like they make $500,000. That's a sign of a slave. A slave to money, here's how they think. They think that money will make them happy. Or pretty things will make them happy. doesn't make people happy. A slave to money keeps financial secrets from their family. They don't know about that account you have tucked away. They don't know about that debt that's over here. Oh, that's just private. Don't say anything. A slave to money feels trapped by money or the lack thereof. They don't trust God. It's a slave to money. I love what Billy Graham says. If a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his life. How true. I'm closing. I know you don't like this sermon. I'm going to ask you to do one thing, and then I free you up. I want you to take out the smallest bill you have in your pocket or your purse. I'm not going to ask for it. I just want you to take it out. If you say, I don't have a bill, take out a coin. Say, I don't have a coin, take out a credit card. I don't have a credit card, you know, take your neighbor's wallet. I mean, just, <laughs> I want you to, I just want you to take out something in your on your person that reflects money. That's all I want you to do. Just take it out. I have a dollar in my hand. My smallest bill. Take out your smallest bill. For some of you, your smallest bill is 100. Take out your smallest bill, whatever it is. Just take it out. I want you just to hold it up like this. Just hold it up. Come on. Get it out. And some of you are too sophisticated. Oh, that's foolish. Well, it's the foolishness of preaching that saves a soul. So just take it out. Just, just, you've done other things that's foolish. <laughs> and what happens in Rockaway stays in Rockaway. Nobody knows about this. <laughs> Let's take it out. But I want you to make this confession today. 
Saying, God, money will not get between us. I will not allow money to separate me from you or to hinder me from believing you and following all of your commands. God, as of this day, I make myself available to be able to grow my financial wealth. I want you to be able to trust me with money. Use me to be creative in making money. But I thank you that I'll never be a slave to money. In Jesus' name. Amen. Put it back in your purse now. Now you can give the Lord a round of applause.